it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What up? This is Robert Ory. You might know me as Big Shot Bob, and I want you to check out my new podcast, The Big Shot Bob Pod. We'll always be talking hoops, football, sports, and I'm going to bring you some big guests like Lakers legend Shaquille O'Neal in our premiere episode. I know I didn't come in to train the camp the best of shape, but... Well, well you I'm, did one time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, 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 well. Subscribe now to The Big Shot Bob Pod on the Podcast One app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends, to this post-game edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, of course, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score and the I'm Pat Podcast. And I do believe he's gone around the world in a hot air balloon. Is that correct, Jay? Uh, not today, but yes, I have done that. <laughs> yeah, I've done that a couple times, actually. If you missed our last episode of the show, I'm now making up things that Jay has accomplished in his life. Maybe one of these days I'll actually hit on something that he's secretly done and just not told us about. But we're not here to talk about Jay's exploits. We are here to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks, who did extend their point streak this evening in their game against the Nashville Predators, but unfortunately could not bring home the all-too-elusive second point as they fall 2-1 to to the Nashville Predators. Jay? Two games in a row for the Blackhawks. They've gotten it to overtime. Two games in a row, they have not been able to get that second point. How are you feeling, buddy? What's your uh, what's your impression right now of the way the Blackhawks are playing? Well, when we last spoke, we sort of discussed how this was going to be a pretty big test for the Hawks, this schedule coming up. And that was when they had Alex Dabrinkit and when they had Adam Boquist. And what you're seeing is just a team without a lot of firepower. You know, I'm not going to get too overblown frustrated about these losses they're severely underhanded 
shorthanded. And I don't know. It's what what bothered me more so uh, Tuesday night than Wednesday night was this sort of resigned kind of lack of effort thing. I think the effort in general was better tonight, Wednesday night, in the shootout loss. But just overall, lots of turnovers. And what frustrated me was it seemed like a lot of the times it was the veterans who were making mistakes, and that's that's concerning to me. Mm. I think that's a really good call, and I think that most of our listeners will have watched both of these games and they'll have seen the way that Patrick Kane was playing uh, last night, a guy that we were very uh, full of praise for on Sunday, and then he promptly came out last night and had a whopping zero shot attempts not even just shots on goal, shot attempts in that game, which I found very interesting. A very passive Patrick Kane last night had a couple of opportunities to make some noise and ended up passing the puck away, including on a two-on-one where he tried to find Matias Yanmark instead of shooting the puck himself, which I kind of found interesting. But I did like the way that some of the veteran guys did respond tonight. I thought especially Kane looked really good tonight, and I thought that that was a nice uh, effort from him after kind of what was a dub. Uh, last night in Nashville and like you said you can pretty much go up and down the list of Blackhawks from last night and isolate a lot of guys who probably had some of their worst games of the season it was just a very collectively poor effort and the fact that they even got to the overtime last night was definitely a testament to Malcolm Subban and then again tonight it was a lot more even in terms of possession at least for most of the game the Predators kind of pulled away a little bit in the third period and ended up really winning the possession battle overall in the game but I thought that again tonight goaltending was another big part of the story and Kevin Lankin and I thought once again showing why odds are he's probably going to be the one who gets the bulk of the starts for this team he just he looks so confident back there and he looks so smooth and his tech technique is so good it's a real contrast from the way that uh, Malcolm Subban played last night and while I think his athleticism was on full display last night once again you saw that this dude might just be too scrambly to be a consistent NHL starter and I know you had kind of some uh, criticisms of Subban's play last night and I thought maybe we could dig into uh, the goaltending here just a little bit yeah I think the goalies are a good place to start and you know we discussed Last night, uh, I mean, go, last podcast, we talked about the goalie situation. And you and I were sort of talking during the game last night about Subban. And someone I was talking to made a really good comparison. He's like the Wilson Contreras of goalies. Super athletic, but everything seems like a reaction, right? Everything seems like, uh, and Contreras has been better with the framing lately, but why is every Malcolm Subban save a kick save? Why is everything desperation all the time? I feel like he either doesn't see the puck well or he relies exclusively on athleticism, which is not a recipe for success in the NHL. And look, if you look at the box score last night, he looked okay. You know, the numbers look good. The save percentage is good, all that stuff. I just have very little confidence with him in the net. And as they're showing, you know, post-game replays, you see Subban... Makes a blocker save, right? The puck hits his blocker, and then you see him look at his blocker as if that's the first time he noticed the puck was coming. <laughs> and look, I know we're looking at this with a magnifying glass, and we're, we're super dissecting it, and I know maybe that's not totally fair, but there is a goaltending competition going right now. And when I see Lankin him play the way he did, and yeah, that goal he gave up tonight was pretty soft. That was a pretty bad five-hole goal, but mm-hmm. that's him probably trying to guess, predicting a pass, and guessing wrong. And that's why the five hole was so wide open. 
but he made up for it moments later with an insane kick save. Then he made an awesome save. Um, on, was it Duchesne who had the uh, the stick handle in deep where he kicked that leg out at the last second and saved it? He played really well, and he was good in the shootout. That The Duchesne shootout winner, no shot. That was just a ridiculous just absolutely move. Absolutely filthy, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, Kevin Lankinen, to me, is taking this job and is winning this job. And I was curious, when they went with Subban yesterday, if that meant they were going to go with Delia today. Now, I don't know. They didn't obviously do that. I don't know what the plan is going forward, but it looks like, you know, I don't know. Why would you just not go with Lincoln at this point? I don't know. What, what's the argument against it? I, I mean, the only argument I can see is that you want to give everybody a fair shot, I think, at getting the Nets, and I'm not sure that you could really argue that Subban had been given that fair shot, only getting to play the one game against, you know, the defending Stanley Cup champion. Right. I can see the argument for him. I'm a little less incent. I'm, I'm. I have a little bit less incentive to see Colin Delia again, and I know that Delia is probably going to be the guy who ends up being the backup in all of this when it's said and done. But I just, I like a lot what I've seen from Kevin Lankinen, and you mentioned the fantastic adjustment that he made after that five-hole goal, and then the first shooter in the shootout tried to go five-hole on him again, and what did Lankinen do? He snapped the five-hole shut, and he did not allow the goal on that. I think that being an NHL goaltender just like any other position on the ice is just a matter of learning tendencies and learning from mistakes, and it's something that we saw a lot of over the years with Corey Crawford where he would give up a couple of soft goals, but then he would just absolutely go into beast mode and lock those things down, and I think that that's kind of the hallmark of being an NHL goaltender. And I thought that Lankinen did a really superb job tonight in terms of learning from the mistake that he made. And then there were just some times tonight where his athleticism was just on full display and he just looks so in control, even in those chaotic mm -hmm. moments. And that's just something that you really, it's tough to teach that to an NHL goaltender. Definitely. That's a really good point. He does have that sense of calm, that sense of control about him. And we both sort of noticed after his first start how sure of himself he seems when you listen to him in press conferences and when you, you know, hear him post games, whatever. He is so confident in himself, and you see that in his play. Some of those glove saves he made late in the game where all hell was breaking loose in front of him, he had every excuse to kind of give that game away, right? Like the Hawks were starting to get tired. They're starting to give up a lot of chances, and Nashville started getting some good looks. But he just very confidently would glove that puck. There were a couple times where he was, maybe I'll play it, maybe I won't. Maybe That's not something that a nervous goalie does. A nervous goalie is like, thank God I made the save, I'm freezing it now. Right? Lankinen looks like he's played 200 NHL games already with his confidence. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say I've seen enough, I'm ready to call the goaltending competition. But the next guy that's not Lankinen to get a start should be Delia. See how he does. And look... Maybe they've got a better goaltending situation than we thought because none of the guys I think are terrible, but right. I'm surprised that Lankinen was able to play as well as he's played this early, make the huge saves he was able to make, and he just looks like, and you said this after game one, the most complete of the three goalies. He's got the athleticism of Subban, the positional soundness of Colin Delia. To me, he is head and shoulders the best of the three, and this is sort of what the Hawks thought it would be. I just don't think they thought it would be this soon. Definitely agree with that. And obviously still very early in the season, we could easily see some type of regression there. And it's something we can obviously keep an eye on. But I think for right now, I think you 
you're you're fine if you want to give Calendelia another chance, but if you end up saying that Lankanen is your guy for right now, I think that Jeremy Colleton would be very justified in that. Speaking of Colleton, an interesting decision that he had to make tonight with uh, several forwards obviously now out because of COVID. Lucas Walmark also went on the COVID reserve list today, joining Alex DeBrinkit and Adam Boquist on that list. The Blackhawks went is something we had mentioned previously on our podcast they went with the 11 forward and seven defensemen lineup tonight against the Predators. And I think in the second period of the game, I think that it was in at that point, it was still working fine. But then as the third period went along, I could kind of sense the Blackhawks were maybe losing a little bit of gas among the forward unit. And I think they were starting to slow down a little bit. I just kind of wanted to get some of your impressions of that decision by Colleton to go with the 11 and seven arrangement tonight. Yeah, I didn't really totally understand it. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be super critical of it because whatever, you know, it's not like Matthew Highmore was going to make a huge difference in this game, but you, you're right. The forest are running out of gas and guess what? Philip Kurashev didn't play the second half of the third period. You need a goal. That's a guy who you want on the ice, you know? Mm -hmm. And you know, kind of what struck me about this is the ice time distributions, Carlson played 11.50, Mitchell played 9.47, Bodan played 9.50. So that's a team yeah. low in ice time for Ian Mitchell. Why? It's a great question, and it also begs a, a question that I had about the Blackhawks and something that they ended up doing on the power play tonight. We had kind of been curious about what was going to happen with that second power play unit when Duncan Keith got elevated to the first unit and ended up be, like moving from the second. They had Calvin DeHaan out there instead of Ian Mitchell or instead of Connor Murphy, and I was really intrigued by that deployment as well. And as you look at this uh, shift, the or sorry, not the shift charts, the time on ice, it, it does beg the question, was Colleton really just – short benching his defenseman when he had seven of the dressed like is that really something that he was doing in a game like this where the Blackhawks are trying to potentially develop these guys and give them some looks you can't give Nicholas Bodan nine minutes and 50 seconds in a game that went to overtime that seems crazy for his first like first real shot at sticking on this roster you know obviously last year I think he played in what one game last year he before the the game before the stoppage yep that's what I thought and so it just it makes no sense to me that you would have him and Mitchell both play fewer than 10 minutes and then crank up the usage of Duncan Keith and Connor Murphy like that to me kind of defeats the whole purpose of dressing seven defensemen in the first place right that very question Questionable decision by Colleton, and I also didn't like the way that he was deploying a couple of those guys on the power play and otherwise. Let's take a look at the ice time for defenseman Duncan Keith, twenty six oh three, Connor Murphy, twenty four twenty four, Nikita Zadorov, fourteen twenty. I'm um, just going down the line here. I do need to shout out Zadorov. By the way, had a couple Better of game. really nice defensive plays tonight. Yes, he did. Calvin DeHaan, twenty two twenty three, Mitchell, nine forty seven. Bodan 950 and Carlson 1150. So just you're right. Like if you're going to dress seven, the point is to not have to play Keith and Murphy for you know 20 for you know averaging 25 minutes each guy. What's the point of that? I don't know. I don't understand what that accomplishes. 
it's also the fourth game in six nights, which also kind of makes you wonder why they were real. And, and I know they've been very careful about Keith's usage in the early going. I know that Connor Murphy has been routinely playing more ice time than he has. And I know that DeHaan has seen his ice time kind of creep up as he's kind of proven that he's fully over the injuries that have been kind of dogging him last season. I just, I don't know if that's the type of thing I want to be seeing for Duncan Keith. And I know that he's a guy who's played a ton of minutes in his career and is obviously kind of used to that. I really don't like the fact that on the fourth game in six nights, you had him playing that much. I just think that it screams to me that the Blackhawks were trying, they were obviously playing to win that game. But at the same time, like I said earlier, you clearly saw them running out of gas. So hopefully this is a learning experience for one Jeremy Colleton. I really not overly impressed with his deployment of the blue liners tonight. Yeah, I just, you know, I don't understand the point of doing that if you're not going to spell those guys. And we're going to keep pointing to this because they said it. This year is about development. Well, close game, late game, back end of a of two games in a row. Let some of these young guys play. There's no excuse for Ian Mitchell being the team low, not just forward, not just defenseman, the team low in ice time. What does what that accomplish? I just don't understand. What does that accomplish? Yeah. And, and like I said, it's not like Ian Mitchell has been playing poorly. Not either. at all. Like, it's not like he has been playing so bad that the Blackhawks kind of have to shield him. I mean, you're eventually going to have to put him into some kind of tough situations. And it just seemed like the Blackhawks were trying really hard tonight not to put any of their young guys in a position where they were potentially going to be able to win or lose the game. And like you had, you had mentioned uh, Kurashev kind of needing to go out there and chase a goal. Isn't Ian Mitchell a guy who should potentially be doing that too? Yes. Uh, by the way, five on five, Ian Mitchell played 654. He was highest among defensemen in Corsi rating with a 57.89 rating. In terms of Fenwick, he was a third on the team with 64.29. The disparity in Corsi and Fenwick, by the way, for these two games has to be utterly hilarious since the Blackhawks, apparently their entire game plan Tuesday night was block as many shots as possible. I had never seen a game like last night where the game felt so tilted on in favor of Nashville. They had the puck the entire game, it felt like, <laughs> the entire game. The only game that I can even think of that's close to that is, remember the game last year where Tampa Bay, I think, had like 27 shots in oh, one God. period? Yeah. Like the last two periods were just a complete horror show for the Blackhawks. That's kind of what that game reminded me of last night. Yeah. Uh, another guy, you mentioned him already. Uh, tough night for Calvin DeHaan, who's had a really good year. Uh, but that turnover led to the goal. But there's got to be better communication, by the way. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to tell DeHaan there's a guy on his back. That, and this is something that Cowan has been preaching since the beginning. Guys have to talk to each other on the ice. Now, with no crowd, there's no excuse. Mm. You know, 5 o'clock, 7, whatever. Let people, let, let your defenseman know that there's pressure coming after him. And maybe he'll make a different play. The the turnovers. I hate, I, sorry, go, go ahead, ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. Well, well I was going to say that that play I did want to bring up that Brandon Hagel, a guy that you and I both kind of went Great out of our game. way to praise a little bit on social media during the game. I thought he had a fantastic game. 
the the play that they gave up the goal on in regulation, I did not like the pass that he kind of fired at the feet of Philip Kurashev at the blue line. I thought it was a really weird decision. Instead of dropping the puck into the zone and trying to go chase it to maybe even get the blue liners off of the ice, he just kind of fired it willy-nilly at Philip Kurashev, and that really put DeHaan in a bad situation on that goal. And it, it obviously made him look, I think, probably worse than he should have being at the end of a really long shift. I will say, however, there was a play later in the game where DeHaan did make a, a decent play as well. Like he, he had some moments tonight where he was good, but just overall, not a great third period for him. He also got stripped on that play. I think it was Colton Sissons was coming out of the uh, penalty box and just grabbed the puck from him. You have to know in that situation, there's a reason your goaltender is banging his stick on the ice to tell you that the power play is ending so that you don't get your pocket picked by a guy in that situation. Just not a very uh, veteran savvy move by Calvin DeHaan there. No, it was definitely a tough game for him. And look, he's been really, really solid all year long, so I'm not going to bag on the guy. No, heck Um, no. It's one bad game, whatever. Like, it, it happens. Just... It's a good learning experience, not just for him, but also for the young guys, too. If it can happen to him, it can easily happen to you. All right, we've been talking at length about this game. Uh, why don't we pick, uh, after I give the tell people about our friends at Fry the Coop, why don't we pick uh, two positives and two negatives each we want to focus on. I'll let you start after I do the read here. I want to tell you all about our friends at Fry the Coop and frythecoop.com, the best Nashville hot chicken. You take two points out of four against the Nashville Predators, eh. Go celebrate, I guess, with some hot chicken. They didn't drop all four points. That's a positive, right? What excuse do you need? Had they lost, I would have said, you know what? You're feeling bad. Go get some hot chicken (laughs) from Fry the Coop. Go eat your feelings. Whatever the reason is, Fry the Coop is always the right choice. Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, Prospect Heights coming very soon to Tinley Park. I cannot wait. Go get yourself some Nashville hot chicken tenders, the donut chicken sandwich, the chicken and waffles. I promise you, you try Fry the Coop, it's going to become one of your favorite places. Warning. The hot chicken at Fry the Coop is hot. If you think you're a tough guy and you're like, oh, I've had hot stuff before, I'm going to order the little insanity. Dial 9-1 on your phone, take a bite, <laughs> and then you're going to want to hit that other one because it's going to be a problem for you, okay? You feel like I'm joking? I'm telling you, don't test it because Fry the Coop is hotter than you think, but they're amazing. And if hot's not for you, that's okay. They've got the country style with no sauce at all. They've got the mild, which is what my 10-year-old daughter eats. There's taste there for everybody, but when it, when it comes to the hot stuff, Fry the Coop does not mess around. Go to frythecoop.com, place your order online, pick it up from their pickup window. Easy peasy, in and out, nice and safe. Frythecoop.com, come get your happiness at Fry the Coop. James, give me two of your positives and two of your negatives. Uh, the two positives for me, I think we've already kind of touched on this a little bit, but I really have liked the fourth line, the way it's been constructed with Brandon Hagel out there playing. I thought that he had a really solid game tonight, and I've really liked the energy and the skill that he's brought to that line. I know that we were kind of critical of him being slotted back into the lineup over Matthew Highmore. We kind of couldn't decide why the Blackhawks had done that, but I think that that line overall had a really solid game, wanted to shout Hagel out. Also, really nice game, I thought, from Ryan Carpenter to finally got rewarded with a goal. I really liked the way that play developed. It was just one of those things. Shoot the puck toward the net, crash the net, look what happens. And I thought that that line was, they definitely were worthy of getting that goal. So I really thought that that was one of my positives for sure. And then the other one, I know I had mentioned this earlier as well. 
I, I can't say enough about the the bounce back game that Patrick Kane had. I know that he occasionally does have kind of those duds like that where it just doesn't seem like anything can kind of get going. And I know he's been put in a really difficult position with the Kit now being on the COVID list, but I thought overall thought he had a really nice night tonight and showed a lot of uh, effort on both ends of the ice. So good for him. All right. How about your negatives? Uh, my negatives, we had already mentioned one of them, which I thought was the deployment of the blue liners. I definitely thought that at even strength, they need to do a better job of kind of spreading out the ice time, even if it ends up meaning that you lose a game in regulation. I'm not saying the Blackhawks should not be trying to win. Like, obviously, these guys are competitors. They want to go out and play. But there's also an element of development that needs to be happening, too. And you're not doing anybody any favors by having them play under 10 minutes in a game that goes to overtime. So not overly enthused with the way that the blue line was deployed tonight and I thought the other negative not too impressed with Carl Soderberg and I know that he's really starting to kind of get his feet under him a little bit because he's obviously not played very many games yet but I just I thought he got out worked along the boards quite a few times tonight and had a really uh rough night in the Corsi department I believe he was a 30 percent in Corsi tonight if I'm remembering that correctly and then 30 and he also he was actually one of the few guys to be a positive force in the faceoff circle tonight, which was kind of random, but not his best game overall. And obviously, I'd like to see him uh, play a little bit better, especially now that you're down Walmart as well. All right, my positives. Uh, first one is Kevin Lankinen just really taking this job and running with it. Uh, just the there's something about knowing the goalie behind you is gonna is gonna do the right thing, and I think you saw sort of a juxtaposition in play from Wednesday night, I'm sorry, from Tuesday night with Subban and goal to Wednesday night with Lincoln and a goal. There was a reason the Hawks were doing everything they could to block every possible shot when Subban was in that. It doesn't feel like they trust him. And I don't either, <laughs> just watching him play. Lankinen, on the other hand, to me, is very steady. And uh, I really like what I've seen in that from him. The other thing, even though he was a team low, 23% in Corsi, there have been some moments over the last handful of games where Matthias Janmark has shown a little more offense than I expected. He's a better stick handler than I thought. He's got a little more speed than I expected, and he's got the ability to make some offensive plays happen. Now, not a great game metrically by any in any way, shape, or form, but I, I have been a little bit impressed with, okay, maybe he's got a little more offense to offer than I thought. My negatives, you said it, uh, Jeremy Cowden's deployment, uh, we've discussed it ad nauseum. You summed it up perfectly, so I'm not going to waste anybody's time. And my other one is, uh, you know, Andrew Shaw has not been the same over the last two games. That terrible cross-checking penalty on Tuesday was ridiculous. It was just classic Andrew Shaw, like, hmm, there's nothing going on. Let me cross-check a guy in the back right in front of the ref. It, we've been waiting on that. It was like a uh, ticking time bomb, honestly. I, and you thought maybe, you know, the, the kinder, gentler, uh, <laughs> you know, Andrew Shaw is going to come and, and show, oh, look, he's a new man. Nope. Here's a reminder. I am still Andrew Shaw. Get used to it. I'm going to cross check people at the most inopportune time. I, I'm speechless. I cannot believe you just uttered those words about Andrew Shaw. <laughs> well, you know, he's got kids now and he's, he had a year off to kind of evaluate his life and you thought maybe there'd be something now. Nope. <laughs> Lent old. some perspective to it. <laughs> no. Same old Andrew. And look, maybe that's Man. a good thing that he has to, for him to be effective, he has to play on that edge, on that line. I just feel like the last two games, everyone's been pretty bad. But I noticed Shaw was not quite as effective as he is 
but he's being counted on to do more stuff now, and I guess understandably finished it even 50% in course. He's not terrible. I just He was so impactful for the first handful of games. The last two, he's been a little more ordinary, but I guess you could probably say that about the entire team. Oh, I was going to say, mm, that sounds like kind of a uh, common refrain, but I am gl- I am glad you mentioned Andrew Shaw. I think that that's been something that's kind of flown under the radar the last two games, and I'm wondering if he's maybe feeling a little bit discombobulated in his role since he's kind of had his world upset with all the changes that they've had to make uh, on the top line. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see how Shaw responds on Friday, and I'm very interested to see how the Blackhawks end up lining up for that game against Columbus because I'm, I'm hoping they go back to a 12-6, but then I don't – I'm assuming Highmore slots back in, but I'm very curious to see what the Blackhawks do there. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's not a lot of like offensive option kind of guys – in the system right now. Bet you never would have thought you'd miss Alex Nylander, huh? Still don't really miss him. No, I don't either. <laughs> I mean, he, look, he he's he'd be a better option than what they have, that's for sure. But that that I will agree with. But I, you know who I do miss? Alex DeBrinkett. Who'd have ever thought? Oh, of? Man, just God, when he was two, certain. Man, two weeks, man. That's and and obviously we don't know whether he has COVID or not. And once he went on the list, it was only a matter of time until Boquist did. I mean, they are living together right. after all. I, I don't know. It'll be it'll be very nice to get those guys back, and hopefully they're healthy. Same with uh, Lucas Walmark, who I know you and I have both been pretty impressed with so far this season. And, you know, hopefully we can get those guys back and we can kind of see these guys at full strength again because it's – honestly, this season has been more fun than bad for the Blackhawks, at least for me, and I've been enjoying the development, and I'd like to get back to that, please. Yeah, definitely. I, I sort of agree with you. It's been a tough year. They're not winning a lot of games, but I do enjoy the development process, and uh, so far it's been a lot more positive than negative. Before we wrap up, we did not mention this. I want to get your take on uh, Jeremy Cowton's post-game comments after Tuesday's game. It was the first time we really saw him – you know, kind of pissed off after a game and, and didn't call anyone out by name. But when he was asked about Zadorov, he said he's one of he's a guy on a long list of guys that has to be better. Um, mm. Just sort of putting it out there. That was I, I, I liked that from Cowan. It was a little bit different. And I wonder how that will. It, it seemed to at least to start the game. It seemed to have a pretty solid impact on the team. They came out much, much better. I, I think that that was a way of calling out the veterans. Yeah. Honestly, like I, I feel like that. Obviously didn't want to single anybody out, but I thought that it was a good idea to call out the veterans, especially after the performance that they put out on Tuesday. I thought that the younger players were the only ones who really kind of stood out to me in that game, and I kind of thought it was an interesting approach by Colleton to kind of not call them out directly, but to kind of take advantage of that question and kind of throw down the gauntlet a little bit. And I really did feel like Zadorov had a better game tonight than he did last night. I believe he had gotten benched for a period of time after he had a pretty rough turnover in last night's game if I please forgive me if I'm misremembering that but I definitely um, thought that Zadorov had a better game tonight the play that he made in the third period back checking Matt Duchesne and preventing him from getting any type of shot at all I thought was an absolutely fantastic play and one of several in in a row that the Blackhawks made in both the third period and overtime to kind of limit quality scoring chances for Nashville and I just thought it was a really good indicator that it seemed like the guys took what Colleton said to heart and I thought he was very fair in his criticisms if you want me to be honest 
Yeah, no doubt. And I'd like to see that from him. I, you know, now that he's got new paper, a new contract, and the guy who loves him more than anybody is has been promoted, you're going to see him with a little more confidence than he might have had. So, uh, and he knows he's safe, at least for a little while. So, let's see what he's got. You know, I, I'm not really irritated with the way things have gone this year. I think, you know, for the most part, he's, I, you know, I didn't love the way things were tonight, but I, I understood he wanted to get that that win if he could, and he knows leaning on his veterans the way to do that. But uh, aside from the deployment tonight, overall, I've been pretty happy with the way he's been, you know, distributing uh, kids versus veterans and things like that. So especially on the power play, I will point that out. He has not hesitated to throw guys like Suter out there and to see what they have. Kurashev too. Yeah, no doubt. Well, all right, that's going to do it for this post-game edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. James and I greatly appreciate it. Make sure you rate, subscribe, review, all those fun things. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at MadhousePod, Instagram Madhouse underscore pod. Look us up on Facebook. And uh, like I said, make sure you subscribe. Those ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts are like gold. Also, if you've been waiting to order a copy of my book, you can get it anywhere books are sold. It's called The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Chicago Blackhawks. I also have a new batch uh, here of my own that I'm signing and sending out. So if you're interested in that, go to madhousepod.com slash book and fill out that form and I'll get you a signed copy. I'll start sending those out sometime next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop. If you look around, you'll see the world can be pretty smart. Okay, very smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart too. That's why we're reshaping online learning with our FlexPath format. You can set your own deadlines, take classes at your own pace, even leverage your previous experience to move faster. So when it comes to earning your bachelor's degree, you know what kind of choice to make. A smart one. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter.